Thank you for downloading this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the histories, experiences, and stories of Central Florida, and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Kendra Hazen, and I will be your host for this scandalous episode entitled Bolita. It brought notorious bosses of organized crime to Florida, influenced elections, and caused a ruckus wherever it spread. This controversial numbers racket weaved its way into the fabric of Central Florida culture. As the topic of this podcast, Bolita gives us a glimpse of how Florida has been shaped by this illustrious game how this game brought hope to poor families, corruption to the state, and paved the way for Florida's current lottery system and legalized gambling scene. The advent of Bolita and its introduction to Florida is attributed to the influx of Cubans that immigrated to Tampa during the late 1800s and early 1900s. Spanish, for little ball, Bolita's origins are rumored to go back even further than Cuba, all the way back to China. At the start of the 17th century, Cuba sought new ways to find labor for their sugarcane industry, and by 1847 found themselves contracting labor workers from China. Along with their labor, the Chinese brought Kino with them and introduced this lottery-style gambling game to Cuba. By 1886, when Vincent Martinez Ibor opened his famous cigar factory in Tampa, Cubans had turned Kino into their own Bolita game and had brought it along with them as they immigrated to Florida. When the Roaring Twenties rolled around, Florida had seen an explosion of this quickly popular and illegal game. It became so popular that organized crime bosses, black, white, and Hispanic, local and national, were drawn to the scene in Central Florida. Bolita was not only a game, but a global cultural exchange between China, Cuba, and Florida. Here, Dr. Nick Wynn, Director Emeritus of the Florida Historical Society, describes Florida's connection with Bolita and organized crime. Everybody thinks Bolito existed only in Ybor City among the Latin community, but Bolito existed statewide. I've seen references to it as far north as uh, St. Augustine and as far south as Miami. The reason Tampa is so widely associated with Bolita was that the Bolita Wars broke out in the late 40s, early 50s between uh, organized crime with a mafia connection and a um, local member of a well-placed Tampa family, Charlie Wall. It looked like Chicago. There were machine gunnings on the street, there were murders, there were fights, there were all kinds of things, and uh, eventually Charlie Wall uh, lost, and uh, Bolito was run by a family who shall remain nameless but connected with uh, the mafia, and uh, uh, it sort of faded back in. There were many aspects of Bolita that facilitated its quick and widespread popularity. First and foremost, Bolita was cheap and easy to play. Here, Dr. Gary Mormino, Emeritus Professor at the University of South Florida, describes how a game might be played. It's very simple. You have ivory balls numbered 1 to 100. 
And what would happen is the boletero, the bolita man, would come by your residence, your work office, or see you on the street, and you would place a bet with the boletero, and you would bet on a number from 1 to 100, and you would give him a payment. It could be a nickel, it could be a quarter, it could be a dollar. And in the early days, if your number came up on Saturday night, you were paid 80 to 1. So if you bet a nickel, you got $4. Uh, the Bolita throw was quite an elaborate ritual. On Saturday night at one of the gambling emporiums in Ybor City, they would have all the balls in a bag, and they would throw the bag in a circle. A beautiful lady would cut the bottom of the bag and select a ball, and that would be the winning number. Uh, in, in time, it, it spun off to, to local variations of this, but uh, that was, that's the basis of Bolita. Dr. Wynn describes another reason for Bolita's quick rise to popularity. It was easy to craft and easy to carry. It's usually a leather bag uh, because you, you have these heavy ceramic or wooden balls with numbers painted on them. And the balls are about half inch to three quarters of an inch round uh, and uh, usually are white because you want the numbers to pop out. It's very simple to do. It's um, uh, something that could be hidden in the case of the law showing up. Easy to hide and easier to cheat. Bolita cheaters would use cork and lead balls because cork balls would float to the top while lead balls would sink to the bottom. Sometimes they would even freeze the winning numbered balls so that the person pulling the ball could find it by feeling for the coldest number. Bolita infiltrated the cultural fabric of Central Florida. As a vice, it was a bridge between Central Florida's white and black communities. Being that it was cheap to play, people of all financial backgrounds could participate. For them, where money was tight, a small bet to a Bolita game wasn't a huge loss. George Speedy Harrell recalls the variety of places and people he encountered playing Bolita in Brevard County. There was a, a man who had a small service station up here. It was railroad, a railroad side and come down and he was just cut off where he couldn't have too much, but he had punch boards all in his place and he, you could buy the tickets. They were they printed in, in a strip with five distinct same numbers, five ones on there, whatever. But I was working out at Duda's at that time. I was a young fella and I'd buy gasoline from that man and I'd buy my lot of tickets from him. Well, not Lotto, but uh, Bolita. Then when I, when I didn't deal with him, when I worked in the post office, there was a lady that had been working there for years and there was a black man that sold Bolita and he would come in but she'd get up when, when he came in and buy her auto tickets or whatever. But I lived north on Merritt Island, and there was a, a black section up there that had a couple of little stores in it. And when the number would come out, it was around noontime on Saturday, I think, that they got the number for that. But they had a little chalkboard outside the store, and they put the, big, the number in big letters, big numbers on it. I could just read it going by. I said, well, I can throw this all away. During the same time, Bolita influenced the political fabric of Central Florida. 
Here, Dr. Mormino describes the influence that Belita had over elections. Belita grew in power in Tampa so that by the early 20th century, Belita was influencing elections. Because you have to understand the principal reality of Belita is you can't have an illegal game with this big a following without police and law protection. So the police were being paid off. Judges were being paid off. I've talked to gamblers and shady characters in Tampa who told me he took bags of money to the governor in the 1940s and 1950s. I talked to the bag man for Curtis Hickson, who was mayor of Tampa in the 1950s. So Belita became very, very powerful. Belita reached the height of its power in the 1950s. Shortly thereafter, Belita's influence began its decline due to Estes Kivoffer and his U.S. Senate Committee's nationwide investigation on organized crime. Dr. Mormino explains who Kivoffer was and the ramifications of his committee. In 1950, an obscure U.S. Senator from Tennessee, Estes Kivoffer, is looking for an issue that he could ride to the presidency. He thought organized crime would be good. First of all, you're not... You're not making anyone at home mad because uh, most of the gangsters were Italians and Jews who lived in the Northeast or now the growing Southwest or Vegas or or Florida. So uh, he does this and he goes around the country in what's called the Kefauver Commission. And this this makes early television. It's one of the first dramatic uses of television. And they come to Tampa and and they have these flowcharts and they're indicting the sheriff and it humiliates Tampa. At this time, Tampa is very worried about its Sunbelt image and it finally begins to crack down on Belita. After Kefauver's visit, Belita continued to diminish until the state initiated its own legalized lottery system. In 1987, the Florida lottery system introduced a newly legalized game run by the state. Diminished but not dead, Dr. Wynn describes where some Florida boliteros are still hanging on. And then when the state brought in the lottery, it should have killed Bolita because the state was now doing legally. But there are areas, I understand, particularly in some of the rural communities down in the southern part of the state, the farming communities where Bolito is still used, is interesting because they maintained it long after it should have been gone. And even as recently as June 2012, there were some 21 arrests of individuals operating in illegal Bolita circuits in Delray Beach and Boca Raton. Scandal Illegal gambling and organized crime were all features of the game of chance. In some sense, Belita created community by joining people of different backgrounds regularly in a common pursuit. Belita was seeded by immigrants coming to Florida, but its popularity reached every cross-section of society throughout the state. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. For more information about the items featured in this episode, visit the Polk County Historical Museum at 100 East Main Street, Bartow, Florida, 33830. Make sure to join us for our next episode titled Quilt Stories.